Let's read um, Mark 14. We're gonna start in verse 32. We'll read through 42 and then uh, we'll dig in, all right? Um, So they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So the first thing we're gonna kind of look at is the pain of Jesus. So I'm just gonna reread verses 32 through 34. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. See this picture of Jesus. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, learning about Jesus, when I think about what Jesus accomplished, the things that come into my mind are like the God moments, right? Like, I don't often think of like, what was it like when Jesus walked somewhere? I always think about what was it like when Jesus walked on water? What a champ, like, wow, that was so not human. Or what was it like when Lazarus was really dead and Jesus said, get up, and Lazarus was really alive? Like, wow, like that is a crazy moment. Or I can't imagine what it was like when the loaves and the fish, there weren't enough and Jesus prayed and then just, bam, like, bread and fish everywhere. Like, man, that is insane. Like, wow. And I think uh, always thinking of the stories, like when you're in VBS or like looking at a little cartoon book or whatever, you always see the God moments in Jesus magnified. And often I I think uh, one of the consequences of, of me always seeing Jesus this way is like, I know that he's both God and man, but I've, I've really just seen the God in him. And I, I don't often see the humanity in Jesus when I think about it. Um, I, I'm not a big movie person, um, but when I do watch movies, I'm kind of a sucker for superhero movies, action movies. No one? Yes, I am, so I do that alone. And um, so <laughs> Superman, uh, Superman is such a great example uh, of a superhero, right? And he's kind of like the cheat code of superheroes, right? Because it's like bullets don't even penetrate his skin. Like he's, he's really kind of tough. And so when you watch Superman, it's like there's explosions and fights and, you know, close calls. But in the end, he's pretty much invincible except for the, uh, that green stuff, kryptonite, which is such a lame weakness for Superman to have. Like just inject him with that stuff and he's done. But other than that though, when you're watching Superman, it's like you kind of know the outcome. It's sort of inevitable. And when I think about Jesus in this moment, like because of my view of Jesus always being God, like it was like, I know that the cross was probably tough. I know this prayer must have been sort of stressful, but how hard really was it though? You know, because he's like God. So although it's gonna be a struggle, I'm sure it's gonna hurt. Like he's God, he's invincible. How hard really was it? But I don't know what you expect out of someone who is invincible and always gonna win in the end. 
But this passage in verses 32 through 34 right here, when we look at this, this doesn't remind me of that. This doesn't communicate to me a Jesus that's invincible and so sure he's just gonna win in the end and he's just tough and like going through this thing fearless. Like, notice the language. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled and the words used for distressed and troubled would be like a state of alarm, of shock. And nowhere else in scripture um, do we see any writer being this intentional um, with the stress, with the weight on someone's soul? Like if, if Mark is typing this on his MacBook, it's like all caps, bold, italics, underlined, bigger font. Like you don't want to miss how stressed he is. So I want us to let this settle in for a moment. Like get out of church. We'll stay in church, but pretend you're not in church. Stay here. Um, but, but imagine this. Let yourself see Jesus like this, deeply distressed, sorrow to the point of death. And Luke, there's an account that he sweat blood, like his blood vessels ruptured, like he was that stressed. This is Jesus in this moment before God. This does not remind me of a, a God who is invincible. It doesn't remind me of some superhero who's inevitably gonna come on top. This reminds me of a human that is distressed to the point of death. This is a picture of a man carrying the, the heaviest of weights on his soul. This is Jesus right now. Um, and so we see Jesus in this kind of painful state, right? Um, and what's his response? Kind of a classic Jesus response, right? He goes to the Father. He goes to pray. So we're gonna move from kind of our, our movement with pain and, and move into um, prayer. And I want us to notice how he prefaces his prayer. So this is the preface, or how he prefaces within his prayer. Look at verse 36. It says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he starts out with, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. And um, I don't know how often that you call um, your dad Abba. I call my dad that all the time. Uh, no, I never do that. Um, so if you're not familiar with that word, that's not weird, we never use it. Um, but it does reflect, just know this, simplest form of it, it reflects this deep intimacy with the Father. Like there is a trust, there is a deep love, this is an intimate term with Jesus and his Father. So he comes before, Jesus, comes before the Father, uh, trusting in whom he's talking to. And then he says, anything is possible for you. Now, when Jesus said this, he like for real, 100, meant it, okay? Like when I say, God, anything is possible for you, I'm like, I mean, I think. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Like I've read cool stories. I've seen some like subtle, cool things in my life. But like, you know, it's not like full 100% faith, but I, I'm pretty sure, God, you can do anything. But know this, when Jesus said this, God, anything for you is possible, he really meant it. So I think about his, like he could reflect on his earthly ministry and think like, you were with me when I told Lazarus to get up from the grave and he got up. You were with me when, when multiple people like possessed by the devil himself like, and I cast him out, like you empowered me, you were with me. You were with me when I walked on water and like just did that really cool trick for my disciples. Like you were there, you empowered me. Like anything for you is possible, but, but bigger than that, Jesus was with the Father at the beginning of time. You know, like what? Like when there was nothing and all of a sudden there was something, 
What? Like light contrast with darkness? Like he was there when the mountains and the oceans came to pass, the animals and Adam and Eve. And I just picture Jesus like kneeling down on the dirt. And he was there when God created the very dirt that Jesus was kneeling down on. Like he knew that anything was possible. And I love uh, the way that Jesus comes in this prayer. Like, I, I love the faith he has. Like, it would not be wavered by his circumstances. Like, before, like, the heaviest weight on his soul, we see the pain he's in, but the first thing he says to God is not, God, here's the problem. He says, God, anything for you is possible. He comes in faith. I so often want my life to look this way. Like, I, I would love to think that I would come before God and before, no matter what I'm going through, I'd come before him and say, like, anything for you is possible. But that's so often not the case. Like, when things are going well, when I've got the job and it was just at the right time, um, when I make rent, when I didn't think I would, it's like, God, you're so good. Like, you are so anything, anything, anything. What can stop you, me and you, unstoppable team? But when rent's looking a little sketchy and the job doesn't quite work out and that girl wouldn't call me back, it's like, okay, I'm pretty, something's changed. Like, you're not moving. Why, God, why have you left me here? Why are you doing this? Like, that's so often, like, just the fleeting part of my heart. But I love this picture of Jesus because his circumstances would not change his faith. And I want this posture. I so often say I want to I wanna be like Jesus and I want to pray like Jesus I think one of the ways this is gonna change from my life is coming before God and before making my requests known, like acknowledging God, like without you, I am not. Keeping it basic, without you, I am not. Because of you, I am. And it starts there. Anything for you is possible. So we see the faith of Jesus that's not uh, contingent on his circumstances. So let's move from the preface. Now let's get into the petition. Why Jesus is um, coming to the Father. What his request is. Let's keep looking in verse 36. It says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Now picture this moment. Believe this, like let this sink into the depths of your heart. Jesus, same Jesus, John three sixteen. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and that's me. You know, Jesus is saying that, I'm not saying that. And Jesus is saying, take this cup from me. And I read that and I, and I actually let that kind of sit with me. I'm like, what, what? That doesn't line up with Jesus. Like, no, he had to go into this smiling and confident, like, let's do it. Like, I'm gonna, ta- I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna save the world. Like, but no, like he says, remove this cup from me. And my first kind of question is like, why? Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he asking for this cup to be removed? And um, I think about martyrs who have died much more willingly. I've heard stories of martyrs dying, literally smiling, singing hymns, by being burned at the stake. Like the crazy stories where God just empowered them in a special way. I think about Acts 7. There's a story of a guy named Stephen who's preaching the gospel in boldness and the people just really aren't having it. They really don't want to hear it. And they begin to stone him. And and as he's being stoned, he says, I see heaven. I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father. And Stephen dies in such boldness, such courage, and he never wavers. And yet we join Jesus in the garden and he's saying, remove this cup. So what's going on? What is it about the cup that he's wanting to be removed? What's so significant? And something that kind of hit me this week that really like hit home with my heart was Jesus is not dying the death of a martyr. 
He's dying the death of a Messiah. Jesus is not dying the death of a martyr. He's dying the death of a Messiah. And that is completely different. So what's a Messiah? It's a, it's a deliverer, a savior. And the question is, what is Jesus delivering us from? It's sin. It's darkness. And this is the cup. This is the cup that Jesus is going to drink. This is the cup of suffering. And no one else, no one in this room, no one ever could drink this cup. This cup was designated only for Jesus. And it's as if this moment is just slowly seeking in. And Jesus understands that, that what he is getting himself into is a soul-shifting moment with the Father. That Jesus, who since the beginning of time has lived in perfect unity, perfect intimacy with the Father, is about to have that completely interrupted, completely changed. And one thing that was hit me this week was like, this is not a breakup. This is not a divorce. This is not a death. This is nothing that we get to understand in our human capacity. This is an infinite, intimate, perfect relationship of love and unity between him and the Father being completely disrupted by sin and darkness as Jesus takes it all on himself. And this is what Jesus is facing. And it was more than just, I, I used to think, like, man, he must have been like scared in the garden because the cross, the cross was gonna be so physically brutal. Um, and that's so true. Like, it, it was, and it, it definitely was. And maybe that was in his mind, I'm not sure. But I think the, the weight of this on Jesus is, is not the cross. It's the relationship between him and the Father changing. Like this perfect relationship being completely disrupted. And it's in this moment in the garden that Jesus is walking into the unknown. Like he's walking into something foreign to him, being separated from the Father. And because he would say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Stephen could die saying, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. Because Jesus would die in agony we get to die with joy, like hope and peace, because we have Jesus. We would be forgiven because he would be forsaken. But in order for that to happen, Jesus would have to drink the cup of suffering, of his perfect relationship with the Father being severed. So he comes before God, he doesn't dance around it, and he says, remove this, like, no, like everything in me is like saying, this is not gonna be good. Like this is not gonna be enjoyable. This will not be pleasant. This is tough. This is the biggest obstacle. And in this gut-wrenching moment, I think Jesus cares about two things. His relationship with the Father and inviting people into the kingdom of God. And in this moment, both didn't agree with each other. One would have to be disrupted so that the other could come to fruition. His relationship for the Father so that he could invite us into the kingdom. So we see the petition of Jesus. He's really asking, remove this cup. I, I don't want this to change. I don't want us to change, but let's look at the posture. So we've seen the petition of Jesus. Right now, let's dive into the posture. We'll keep reading just verse 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What a like contrast in sentences, right? Like, take this from me, I want no part of this, yet not what I will, 
what you will. And I want you just to let yourself go there, see the garden, whatever a garden looks like to you. That's fine, that works at nighttime. Jesus kneeling down, shaking, sweating, nervous, distressed to the point of death, saying, take this from me. But he concludes the prayer with not my will, but yours be done. This is, uh, this is submission for the ages. Like, how does Jesus even do this? Like, everything in him driving him the other direction. Like, I can just hear his instincts being like, run, option one. Um, shrink back, hide, option two. Um, water it down. Maybe bargain with the Father. Find some middle ground between taking the sins of the world and perfect relations. Like, just compromise, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He submits fully. And this is what it looks like to trust God completely with humility. This is what it looks like to trust God completely with humility. And I found that sometimes in my prayer life looks like either two thirds of this prayer or the middle third, the middle third being the petition part, like God, glad that we could meet up. I, I have a need, right? Or at best it's like, uh, God, anything for you is possible. Now do this for me. And then step three is like just kind of waiting and seeing. But when the will of God doesn't match my ways, I, I sort of don't want to have any of it. It's like, I, I, maybe you guys can relate to this. It's like, God, give me that job that's taking lesser pay, but it's for the good of others. If it's in your will, let me know. And then he kind of speaks into that. It's like, okay. And you're like, did you say work for the promotion? Yes, deal. Like, I didn't quite hear what you said, God, but I'm gonna go ahead and just like interpret this my own way. Or like, God, like at this relationship, if it's not bringing you honor, like if we're not bringing you honor, like I'll give it up, let me know. And then God speaks into it. Okay, give it up. Okay, you want me to work harder and, and try more. Got it totally with you because I, I don't really want to let this go, right? Or God, like, I, I give you control of my finances. If you want 10%, boom, consider it done. If you want 50%, done. He's like, okay, 50. Okay, what about 10 though? You know, it's like, it's like that's kind of what my prayer life looks like. It's like, God, do this. Like, I, I want you, I want you, I want you. But the minute his will disagrees with my way, I sort of kind of waver. But we see Jesus who's saying, remove this cup from me. Like, if I get my way, I will not go through this. That's the truth of the moment. Like, this will not be the way you choose to save the world. But when the will of God speaks, Jesus says, your will be done. Why does he trust God so much? What is it about his relationship with the Father? And it's really simple. He knows the Father to be a good and trustworthy Father. He knows that the Father has not only Jesus' best interests, but the world at large, like the world's best interests at the heart of the Father. And so this is his posture, one of complete trust and complete humility. So uh, my next kind of thought process is what do we do with this moment? Like part of this moment is really other than, right? Like Jesus is going through something that we'll never have to go through. But Jesus is always teaching us, even when he's just like living life, he's always teaching us something. And so sort of the question I had is, you know, what do we do in our sort of garden moments? And so I encourage you to write these questions down, some things to think about. As you go to communion, you can talk about them, think about them during the week. But um, sort of the first thing I want us to see is, I, I remember hearing Dave teach um, a few years ago, and, and one thing he talked about was how trials, um, they don't change your faith. Uh, they more so reveal where your faith is at, right? So it's like when something really hard comes, your reaction um, isn't your faith changing, it's your heart sort of just being revealed, exposed for what it is, right? And so when Jesus is facing this really tough moment, what's he do? 
goes to the Father. And we learn something about Jesus there. When life is at its hardest, he goes to the Father. And so the first kind of question for us to reflect on and be really honest about, don't fluff it up, I fluff my answers, don't do it, be honest. Where do you go when you're met with trial? Like, ask yourself, where do I go when life gets tough, when life gets hard? Uh, the second thing I think that we get in this garden moment is the insight uh, of Jesus' honesty and just rawness with the Father. Like he, he doesn't give some formal introduction. He doesn't like talk for a long time about other things and then kind of dance around the point. Like he comes before God and says, remove this. <laughs> like take this from me. Like my soul is troubled. Like help, like take this away. I don't want it. And I love this picture of Jesus because it's so honest and he, he probably knows like the father has his will and this is it, but he's still like, but God, this is what's on my heart. Like my father, I need you to know this. And man, I want to invite us into the same thing. Like what is it in your heart? It's the second question. Like what is it in your heart that you need to bring before God? That you need to be honest with about God. Maybe it's a place of darkness. Maybe it's a question or a mystery or just something you need from the father. Like don't hide it. I think for some reason, I don't know why I did this, but for the first 20 years of my life, I always dressed up my prayers. Like I talked to God, like I, it was like really formal, like God, like okay, thank you for food and uh, shelter and okay, amen. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know why I never got honest with him. Like God, today, awful. My heart, wretched. I'm like, I'm struggling with these sins and I'm pretty sure I'm never gonna overcome. I need you, God. And so I wanna invite you, like whatever it is that you, maybe you've already identified it right now, or maybe you need to reflect, but whatever that thing is in your heart that you need to bring before God, man, let honesty and transparency reign in your talk with God. Petition before the Lord, he can handle it. You can't, he can, right? So let's look at the, the third thing I want us to see is also the, the posture of Jesus. Man, we see that when Jesus isn't getting his way, he submits wholly to the Father's will. And so this isn't really a question, this is more of an invitation to pray a prayer. Um, and I just wanted us to think like, to pray uh, like God, I, I know I won't always stay true to this, but this morning in the cannery, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, like in the cannery, I wanna submit my life to your will. Whether or not I understand whether or not it agrees with me. It agrees with my emotions or my instincts. Like when everything in me is pulling me in one direction but you are pulling me the other, I will go the other. And I acknowledge that sometimes I'm not gonna live into this, I know that, but, but today I wanna, and every day, I declare like I wanna live in to your will even when your ways disagree with mine. Because I know that you are looking for the good in me and the good in the world around me. So as we think about those, as we go to communion, I wanna encourage you, as we go to communion, it's always so special every week, but this week, as you eat the bread and take the juice and drink the cup, be, I know this has been a heavy text, and it is heavy, it's appropriately heavy, but also be encouraged, because today you're going to eat bread and drink a cup knowing that Jesus drank the cup that you could never have drank. Like, he has handled it that he left that moment of, remove this, take it away from me, but your will be done. And he got up and he did the Father's will and now we have a way to the Father. 
Like that is what Jesus has accomplished. So as you eat the bread and drink the juice, be encouraged, be full of joy, for we needed help and we have met a helper. We could not overcome, Jesus has overcome. He is alive, he is in this room, he is in this city, like he has done it. And so we go to the table saying like, never a chance, never a chance. And then we eat the bread, drink the juice and say, thank you, I had no shot. But you have done it, you have overcome. So let's go to communion, think on these questions and uh, I'll pray for us and then uh, yeah, we'll do it.